Hi folks, I'm Duncan Gill, child and adolescent psychiatrist. And I'm Victoria Lee, licensed clinical mental health counselor. And welcome to Is There a Med for That? The podcast about teen mental health, behavioral problems, and what to do about them. Victoria and I have been working together for years with kids. Sometimes we use therapy, sometimes medication. Sometimes we just give guidance to parents. And we realize that sometimes kids just need to be left alone. We don't have all the answers, but we've got some of them. We'll do our best to share what we've learned over the years working with struggling kids and their families. We hope you enjoy the show and that we can be helpful to those who have taken on the hardest, most important job in the world, being a parent. Hello, Duncan. Hi, Vicki. <laughs> Here we are. <laughs> Yet again. Yet again. Today we're going to talk a little bit about conflict in general, briefly, and then introduce, maybe not introduce, but maybe the listeners out there already know about John Gottman, but otherwise we'll be introducing him and some of his work on um, some conflict communication skills, so to speak. I look forward to learning about John Gottman. Yeah, I really like him. Joe, who we've talked about briefly in the past, introduced him to me a long time ago um, because he really liked a book that he wrote. I believe the book was Seven Principles for Making Marriage Work. Ooh. Yeah, I forget all the principles, but I read the book well before I was married and probably even thinking about getting married. Um, and I guess I'm not like legally married, but we consider ourselves in a marriage. You're married. Yeah. I've seen you guys <laughs> together. You're married. Yeah. <laughs> Great. I like that. Um, and so it really helped me, my future self. When I, by reading that book, it helped my future self and helped me pick who I wanted to be with um, and make a good choice for, I think, a happy family life, happy family story. Um, and so that's John Gottman's book, um, The Seven Principles for Making Marriage Work. And why I thought we should talk about him today, one, I admire his work and think it's important for people to know about it, but we are a podcast on parenting and a lot of his work pertains to marriage couples but I got thinking that a big we talk often about one conflict right we talk about avoiding adversarial dynamics so avoid fighting and embrace conflict so welcome conflict into your life not saying like go seek it out and find it but if conflict arises you don't want to avoid it you're differentiating so there's a difference between fighting and conflict yeah so defining conflict that's a really important piece of it so conflict you had a really good definition i just came up with something what was it it was um a difference of opinion Resulting in tension between two individuals. I like that. How's that? That's I like bad. that. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, serious disagreement. Mm-hmm. I think it can be minor or more major. It can be chronic or acute. But I think part of it is it recognizes that there are separate entities and that because of that, there's going to be sometimes differences and that might cause tension, as you put it. It really has to do with the relationship as well as the difference of opinions. Very much so. Yep. And I think a really important piece of it too is acknowledging that conflict is not fighting. It can be fighting, (laughs) but it doesn't have to be. So fighting is when there's an adversarial dynamic. Yeah, I was just thinking in our be- definition because boxing is fighting without conflict. What about that? You don't think they feel a little tension every time I, I box someone? I end. feel a lot of tension. Of course, a lot of people with conflict hug at the end. 
Right? It's a good point. Hmm. They sort of tap gloves in the beginning. Yeah, I don't know. I'm going but, astray. But the boxing is mutually cooperative fighting because you've agreed. It's agreed upon fighting. You've right. agreed. There's like a rules to that. Right. Um, so that's kind of a, a very special, you know, fight, uh, boxing or jujitsu or, you know, other karate. When you engage in fighting in those arenas, you're... You've agreed that we're going to fight. So you're cooperatively fighting. Right. So conflict, often I find that there are a couple of ways people orient towards conflict. One is through distance. They avoid it. I'm going to stay away. I know about that. Yeah, highly agreeable. If you tend to be someone who's agreeable, which one day we'll have to introduce people to yeah. uh, personality types. We can talk about our own and how if you can understand other people's, it can help you have a better working um, outlook on them and why they do certain things and understand yourself and others better. Um, then there's people with conflict who tend to like jump right in and they can often want to fight. Enjoy it. Enjoy it. Do they enjoy it? I don't know. Some people probably enjoy fighting. I think other people don't like it, but it's a habit and they yes. do it. Yes, yes, it's, yes. it's how they've learned to handle conflict. Right. And so there can be an, there's other paths though, other than fighting and distancing and that's just not avoiding it, not, but not turning it adversarial. You can do it in a way where the foundation is one of friendship respect, mutual cooperation, really digging in, um, justly participating in its resolution. You can even not like each other. You don't have to be friends. I mean, you theoretically could be enemies or not like each other, but yep. still work through conflict together. Yep, absolutely. Yep, but I think you have to have, to have a friendly orientation. Right? Yeah, embrace all feelings. something cooperative about it. Yep, embrace all feelings, guide all behaviors. <clears throat> And then, so I was thinking as parents, we have a lot of conflict, just as humans, we have conflict in our lives, whether you address it or not. In one of our mottos or principles in our, in how, what we're, we've been talking a lot about on our podcast is, um, role model, healthy relationships for your kids. Right. Right. That's a big job as a parent is to be mindful of the behaviors and habits you're role modeling. So right away one of the things we work a lot on with parents in our parenting groups here is how to have conflict in a healthy way with your kids. And then I was thinking, oh, like it'd be really fun to introduce our listeners to how to have healthy conflict with a spouse. Cause that's what John Gottman's work really helps you do. It's called the four horsemen. Could I interrupt just for a second? Yeah. Victoria? yeah. So you can role model. Okay, let me role model for you. Oh, perfect. <laughs> Just what you're looking for. You always have to have your one doctor yeah, moment yeah, on yeah. every episode. The conflict is there Anyway, so you, it's not really having the conflict. It's already there, but it's, it's addressing the conflict? Addressing the conflict. This is actually a question. I'm not, yeah. Meaning, what did I say? Um, helping parents how to have, have conflict. How to have conflict. Yeah, because you're right. People do not need any help having conflict. <laughs> <laughs> they, um, that's just part of our human nature, and it's part of life, right? I mean, damn, I have conflict with, like, existence, right? right. Existential conflicts, right. dilemmas. Internal conflict. Yeah, yeah. And so it's not about having It's how do you navigate it in a healthy way? How do you... Uh, address it successfully. And I think that another big area, so the con as parents, we want to think about how do we have conflict with our kids or not how to have conflict, but how do we navigate conflict with our kids? And also how do I navigate conflict with my co-parent 
Mm. How do I, whether you're married, divorced, single, and maybe you don't have anyone helping, but maybe it's a grandparent who helps, or maybe you have friends that you interact with and your kids are going to be watching the way you right. navigate conflict in the world and you become that schema. Is that in the right application or that model? <sighs> That's a good question. We'll Google Let's that. Let's just move on. Yeah, we can <laughs> move on. <laughs> And I love John Gottman's approach to conflict because I do some marriage counseling in my private practice, which I really enjoy. I love it. I love working with couples and somebody else's marriage. (laughs) Well, I, you know, poor Paul, he, he loves, well, I love even the concepts and I, you know, I, to me, having fun is like talking about marriage dynamics and (laughs) your idea of a good time, right? My idea of a good time. Paul's a great sport though with it, but I do love it because I think it's really, it's so important helping marriages be successful or even if the marriage is going to dissolve, how can you do it in a way where it's cooperative? I think it's such an important, it's such a privilege that people allow someone else to enter that and be helpful in achieving that. And so I often use a lot of Gottman tools in those sessions. So John Gottman, he's an American psychologist. He's known around the world, though, um, for his work on marital marital stability and divorce prediction. So he's yeah, he's um, a professor, at least was. I don't know if he's an active professor of psychology at the University of Washington. Mm hmm. And he had something set up called the Love Lab. So I think they still do it. They How do you have, sign up for that? It's like um, a bed and breakfast style sort of situation. I but bet. And it's you and your partner go in and they, you're hooked up to different like read, like um, biological, I don't even know what the right word is. Maybe as a doctor, you might know, like feedback things so they can take analysis right. and they even like um, take samples from their urine, I think, to like measure stress and wow. whatnot. And they watch them, they observe. So there's a bunch of researchers who are they're watching through uh, the one-sided glass yeah. and they observe how the couple how they behave this throughout sounds the time. totally like science fiction well and they do obviously don't have cameras in the bathroom or in the bedroom right. but they're observing other areas so there's a level of privacy which is i think important for ethical um some ethics there who knows but so he has the Love Lab, and he's been, he, I don't know if he's currently still doing it, but I'm sure it's still in existence. And he was, he's researched couples for 50 years plus. And so, and now he, he's also married to Julie Gottman, who is a clinical psychologist, and they have the Gottman Institute that helps train marriage counselors and teaches. They also have a parenting program called Emotion Coaching. It's a five method, it's a five step method to helping you raise emotionally intelligent children. In, so he he has a lot of research and science behind him, which I really like because I don't think a lot of other um, marriage, not, and I don't think it has you have to have be a good one, but I think his research um, is makes it scientific feeling, which people like, but also too it demonstrates I think good outcome. Uh-huh. And I've actually seen it in my own practice that it does actually help people. Really? So it's really exciting and fun. And one of the cool things about John Gottman, he could meet a couple. So from the love lab, what he basically learned is that there, there's the he, two categories of marriages, the masters and the disasters. Isn't that great? That and so good. the masters are the ones that he predicts are going to do well. And the disasters are the ones that are really struggling. And it all has to do around 
how they have conflict. And he could actually sit down with a couple, and I think it's a five-minute sit-down, and he says, please discuss some conflict you have. And he watches how they discuss wow. it. And it's 87.4% accuracy he can... De- he can predict if they're going to be married or get divorced down okay. the line. This is just reminding me, do you go there or not? It's a little bit like having gene testing to see if you have some kind of neurological illness coming up when you're older. Yep. Right. That's a Yeah. Do, should I go? Do I want to know the truth? Right. Or do I want, want to know the, the outcome or not? But the, I guess uh, I should add that it goes up to 90% ability for him to predict it if you work on it or not, or maybe that's, I'm not saying it correctly. He, if this is, if you don't work on it, if you don't work on uh-huh. the things. And so what, what, what do we work on? He came up with a system he calls the four horsemen. So he named it after the four horsemen of the apocalypse, which I guess when you said it might be from the book of revelations. That's my guess. Did that's we your fact guess. Chess that? I did. I did. Um, you Googled it I just Googled before this it. episode. Yes, because that is neither one of our expertises. No. But uh, the four horsemen of the apocalypse are death, famine, war, and conquest. And so the idea is that when those start to appear on earth, you know the apocalypse is right. coming. So the, the four horsemen in a marriage, once if you see that a lot in a marriage, the end is near, right? So that's the name. And so what are the four horsemen? So it's... The four horsemen come up in conflict. The first one is criticism. The next one is contempt. Third one is defensiveness. And the fourth one is stonewalling. What happens if we've already seen these in our own relationships? Well, the good news is, is that we all are going to do some of it sometimes. Right. But you want it to be the majority of time you're not engaging in those. And he has an antidote for each one. So the disasters engage in those four horsemen, but the masters engage in their antidotes. Huh. Which we can talk about in a second. And I want to, before we get into the details of this, I wanted to just bring up that Gottman says that 80% of conflict is unsolvable, which is, I tell couples that start out with me, that very (laughs) fact. And at first I can tell they're very disappointed and they probably think this is not a good therapist to work with. (laughs) But I tell them that because it's actually, it might actually be liberating. And I think it helps us have conflict better. And what he's saying is that 80% of conflict is Unsolvable, meaning that it has to do with differences in personality, mm-hmm. lifestyles, um, outlook, um, and just you know more constitutional things that probably aren't aren't likely to change in your partner. I'm sure if you're married or and you can. The science doesn't back this up. What I'm about to say, but I believe that you can apply this to any relationship these skills. I really think that right. in the idea of like about 80% of conflict, probably between you and anyone, you and your child, it's probably going to be unsolvable in this way. But, but I would say that's reassuring. Don't you feel that, that you can live and thrive and love somebody, even if eight out of 10 things you uh, disagree about or I'm yeah. not sure how to put that exactly. Yeah. That you can still have differences and still have a really loving, strong relationship. And in fact, I think it was Gottman, um, but this comes up in a lot of places. They talk about how when either a couple or friends, they have no conflict, that's often Mm, a red flag because they aren't necessarily bringing their true self to the situation. Or perhaps one's really dependent on the other and um, 
cowed by that person, you know, and yep. that kind of relationship. There's a dynamic there. Afraid to disagree. Yeah. Yep. A control orientation. And so the four horsemen, you want to be aware of them in your relationship. But I would say with your kiddos too, if like anywhere when you're dealing with conflict. So the first one, the criticism, that's where you're verbally attacking the personality or character of the Mm. other person. Oftentimes it starts with you always. (laughs) (laughs) You never. You never. There you go. You got the idea. And you want to... Criticism is not complaints. Complaints are actually really good. Okay. You want to have complaints, right? So, hey, honey, we, you know, the other day we had mentioned that maybe trash was going to go out on Thursdays that you're going to take that out. Um, last time I checked, it was right. still in. Do you mind taking it out? So it's right. kind of a complaint, right? Right. Or like, I don't, I don't like when... Or even say, it pisses me off. It pisses that, me off. Right. Yep, you can say it in that way. Um, you can even say, you know, I'm really upset that, right. you know, when you said you were going to be home for dinner and then you weren't. I feel really hurt by that. Right. And you can say it very even way more fierce than that. But just making sure you're doing it in a way where you're not criticizing the person's overall character. It's more behavior. Yes. Or an act or something. Yeah, an actual specific complaint. Right. Because sometimes if you're attacking someone's person, that's almost condemning them because you can't really change your whole self in this moment. You can't like that's a life sentence in a certain way. Right. But if you have a complaint that, especially if you keep it to this moment, like what's happening, what's upsetting you in this moment, you, you can actually ask your partner to change it and fix it. Do you mind like just taking the trash out to show them how to shine? Right. Right. Like what can you do? Right. Like that's how they say it in the marriage labor is kind of silly. But I think that sometimes we don't know what the other person's really looking for. And that's when we get overwhelmed. We're just like, screw it. She's just unhappy. Right. Right. Or he's just being upset again. Right. And the antidote for criticism is gentle startup. And that's you start with an I statement. You ease into the complaint. I feel right. It's a feel. I feel is a good one. I feel Um, as if you, right. Yeah. Or I could really use some help with the kids. I could really use some help with the dogs, whatever it might be. And then the second horseman is contempt. (laughs) There's videos online like YouTube. You can YouTube the Gottman's four horsemen and they'll have couples playing these out. And it's funny. (laughs) It's not funny, but it, but it is, um, contempt. It's attacking sense of self with an intent to insult or abuse would be like the definition, but it's like eye rolling or like mimicking someone's behaviors. You always want me to do this. Like, can you like envision a couple doing that or just even sadly, I see parents do that to kids a lot. That's bad. Yeah. Yep. It's not a good habit. Nope. It's um, because what it is, it's insulting, can be shaming, can be really hurtful to someone's self-esteem and identity, especially your child's. And so what's the antidote? If you struggle with being contemptuous in a relationship, yeah, practicing being yeah contemptuous. You want to build a culture of appreciation. So instead of always thinking about the parts you don't like about someone, start to work on thinking about what you like, what drew you to that person more, right? Because you got to get, you got to get away from that negativity. We often talk about positive parenting. And that'd be something that you probably you want to say to the other person. Exactly. You want to verbalize. It's a good point. Share that. People love that. 
I think it might be common knowledge more so now, but in the science, the social science fields, you often talk about the five to one ratio that humans need to hear five positive things for one negative thing. I know, talking about needy creatures, but it's kind of excessive. But it's, I, I think it's pretty true in a lot of ways. People want to hear positive things, right. and then they can absorb the negative. the negative. Yeah. yeah. Defensiveness is when you... Um, you defend, you put up a wall or almost even like victimizing yourself. They say here, victimizing yourself to ward off a perceived attack and reverse the blame, right? Like someone says, you know, I was feeling like maybe, you know, we had talked about all being, or we had talked about all having dinner together and then you were late and the defense might be, you always focus on what I do wrong, right? So now you're the victim, you're defending, you're not teaming up. And the antidote to that is simple. Take responsibility. Right. Nothing eternal is at stake necessarily, right? Like just say, yeah, you know, I was late. There might be a really good reason why you were late, but right. first take responsibility and then you guys can work on whatever. Then you can accuse them of something else. There you go. They can turn the tide. That's not what we're that trying to I do. That was in, the, I think, the disaster category. <laughs> <laughs> turn the tide. You know, and it can be really liberating sometimes just take responsibility for something because instead of, it doesn't escalate it. Right. Have you ever done that? Yes. Really, you take responsibility and it's just like, it can be so much simpler. It can. It can de-escalate it for the other person and for you. Yeah, exactly. Right. Because defensiveness is really like a kind of revved up response. Right. See, yeah, and I think often with the teenagers and parents that we work with, when I see defensiveness, it often comes up because parents feel like they're trying so hard and they've given their kids so much. Right. And they feel like their kids are just being cruddy to them or ungrateful. They can get a little defensive trying to keep your eyes peeled for if that is coming up and and role model for your kids taking responsibility. Right. And then stonewalling is the fourth for horsemen and it's when you withdraw from the conversation so you you just avoid the conflict and Mm. essentially like you can still be sitting there but on the videos you see people (laughs) actually like or in the couples counseling you'll see them sitting there arms crossed looking off in the distance as their partner guilty of that one victoria you do that yep often people and they say more men do this than women Uh because it's a it's a biologically based not trait it's a biologically it comes from men tend to get emotionally overwhelmed with conflict way quicker than females females have a way higher biological yeah i just want to be done with it exactly if i just don't talk she'll stop talking eventually it's a it's a very common male strategy i'm just gonna make things worse yes exactly often so stonewalling happens when someone becomes physiologically overwhelmed and so a lot of um Sometimes in marriage counseling, the Gottmans will actually have... What are those finger things called that they put on to read your... Finger puppets? <laughs> that would be great. That's like, what Cast about Bob? Nets. That's like, what about Bob? You remember, Anna? You got to see... You, I know you didn't I like it. I see it again. We got to see it again. In... You know, they act things out. No, the, um, it's a medical device. Not really. I don't know. You can buy it at CVS probably. Well, you can, their heart rate. And, pulse oximeter. Yeah. Okay. They recommend having couples wear that because stonewalling occurs when someone, it, it aligns with being physiologically overwhelmed. Huh. And it happens to men way up. quicker in conflict. Yeah. I'm not surprised. And then the woman feels like you're just, you're not addressing you're being a jerk 
right? And it can, females can stonewall too, but it's more typically men. And so their antidote to that is learning how to self-soothe a little bit better so that you can stay in conflict. So if you start to notice stonewalling, they recommend taking space and coming back to the conflict when... Just need a couple minutes or I need a little bit of time. I found that helps. Yeah. They recommend 20 minutes or more. Really? Yeah. Cause some people, cause often people, and maybe if it's an intense conflict, but if it's a, a minor one, shorter could probably work, but just to bring the heart rate down, get the breathing regulated huh. and cause you're in your fight or flight, you're in you're in the flight, you know, <laughs> I'm out of here. Yeah. yeah. And women are actually, I don't know if this is a scientific statement, but appear to be more, often more adept at verbal conflict. Makes sense, right? I'm nodding. Yep. Yeah. Do you notice Duncan, like, as I read through them, you said stonewalling is the one maybe you do most. Yes. Yeah. My yeah. wife's more, uh, the one who wants to keep going more active, um, I'm much more conflict avoidant and she's more conflict comfortable. Yep. Um, so, um, I like that. I don't conflict know if that, comfortable. Does that, uh, maybe seeking sometimes, <laughs> um, does that happen a lot? Do you think that couples are attracted to the opposite or different or is it, do you often have two of the same? I see all different combinations in mm. terms of conflict styles. I think what happens a little bit more is that um a highly agreeable person although you, you, i see highly agreeable people often together because they but in terms of men and women often you'll have one who's like more of a talker mm. and one less of a talker yep kind of because if you're both wicked talkers you're probably going to upset each other in the dating process right <laughs> that relationship will select out <laughs> yeah yeah he doesn't let me get a word in I tend towards criticism more, I think, yeah. and have to work on and try to actively work on staying in this gentle startup and just keeping it to a complaint. So I need to take time more and come back to it. Yep. Yeah. So don't avoid it altogether and just shut down. Right. Yep. Yeah, it's so, useful. This has been a useful podcast for me. Cool. It's, isn't it fun to think about? Yeah, it is cool. And I think that as parents, if we can have partnerships where there's, I don't know if it's old fashioned or not, but people often say, I never disagree with my husband or wife in front of the kids. And I take a very different approach huh. where we do disagree, but we do it in respectful, harmonious ways. Right. And we you model, role model having conflict. Yeah. I mean, we wouldn't have like a major like blow up. Yeah. Like here's like a, not that we like often have, I'm trying to think of like a, an example that we wouldn't, but we're fortunate at this point in our relationship that we don't have a lot of those major conflicts, but maybe because we work on little things. Yep. Um, and we try to do that in the day to day arena with the kids around. And obviously if we get, if I'm getting heated, then, you know, I say that cause I tend to be more of like that person. Um, then like we can pause and come back to it, but we, we are very attuned to trying to help our kids learn about how to have healthy conflict and that conflict isn't bad. Conflict doesn't mean that we're not loving that we don't, we're not on the same team still. It actually means we are on the same team and we're proactively working on a solution to keep our family positive and evolving. What is that saying? Conflict avoided is just conflict delayed. Mm. And then you can also think of conflict as seeking mutual understanding. Right. 
So what happens when a conflict is successfully negotiated? What's, what's the outcome? Is it agree to disagree? Is it maybe the opinions remain different or they're the same, but the relationship tension is improved? That must be. Yeah, I think it's the relationship tension is improved, especially for that 80% of the conflict that's going to be unsolvable, right. is that you feel heard. You feel respected in your perception of whatever's going on and about like your, I don't want to say your side, but technically your side in the conflict. Uh, yeah, you feel under, you feel heard, mm-hmm. listened to. You feel like you proved yourself right. It's <laughs> one way to put it. Um, you've won. You've won. <laughs> I've won up my partner. You know what? It comes back. I think I said this before in the podcast, but I remember when I had that moment, this is before I was even married, where I had the realization, geez, I don't want to be a right fighter in my life because if I'm always right, that means that I'd be married to a loser or be dating a loser. Right. Or if like, say with my kids, I'm always right. If like I'm the winner and they're like, then they're a loser and that's off. I don't make kids to be a loser. No. And so there has to be something higher than right. Right. That like, then like, um, winner and loser in a family unit being right and wrong. It's gotta be something higher than that. And I think mutual understanding can be the start of it. And then for the 20% where there are things you can actually work out and some things are very important that you come to actual functional terms on, not just agree to disagree, especially things that allow for your family or relationship to function well. A compromise? Yeah. And or coming around to somebody's point of view. And I think negotiating is a good word for, it. I think you got to really, one person that I admire, he often says, never agree to something you don't agree to and marry someone that you can ne- negotiate with. Right. Which I think is some really good life advice. It's something you really should look for in a spouse. Um, maybe it's too late and you've got, got to work with what you got, but if not, try to think about that out there. Because I think you, and it might take, some conflict might take years to really get to like a working resolution on. Other things might take months or a week or maybe right in one conversation you can come to a working resolution. But I think you have to work on a just resolution to it through negotiating and compromising. But it, and the negotiation has to be authentic or it's going to come up again. Right. And sometimes we don't know, like maybe like we are authentic and agreeing to something. And then later we're like, oh no, this doesn't work. And then conflict comes up again. And then you just navigate it as a team, always teamed up. Conflict is not something to be feared. No, welcome it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, that was fascinating. Cool. I'm glad. And I learned something about Gottman. Yeah. Cool dude. Um, and it sounds like he's still alive and. Yep. He's still alive. Doing stuff. That book sounds fascinating. Yeah. Seven principles of a healthy marriage or making marriage work. And he has, I think he's co-authored tons of books and articles out there. And I learned something about the Bible today. About the Bible. About the apocalypse. Learned about modeling for our children. I think you did a great job this podcast. Thank you. I was afraid you might try to hijack the topic today. I just feel like I won. (laughs) (laughs) I can concede that dunk. That was great, everybody. Thanks for listening. And um, we'll come up with something interesting to say next time. Yeah, maybe something med-related. Hopefully. (laughs) All right, bye, folks. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Is There a Med for That? For more information about our podcast and our clinical work, visit our website at medforthat.com. If you've got questions, comments, or topics you'd like us to cover, feel free to email us at contact at medforthat.com. We'd love to answer some of your questions on air. Have a great day.